Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place. Like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Our main discovery is that there is a switch that animals use to go from being a normal weight to overweight. That switch, you can activate it by certain types of foods. Dr. Rick Johnson, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be on Dude, your show. Dude, I'm so excited. Your book is crazy. So the title alone grabbed me, Nature Wants Us to Be Fat. That is certainly how it feels. Yeah, it's uh, certainly a bad, bad uh, title in terms of, you know, what it carries for us. But, yeah, if only it weren't true. <laughs> if only but, it weren't uh, true. So getting into it, there's a lot going on. I think it's really interesting. I think it's going to profoundly impact how people approach if not, hopefully their life, but if nothing else, the debate around, is it just calories? Do the types of calories matter? Which is a, a debate that I've sort of been dancing on the periphery of for the last probably decade plus. Um, I don't care what the answer is. I just want to know what the truth is. So I'll ask point blank, do calorie, is it, is it just a calorie question why we get fat or is there more at play? Oh, there's a lot more to, at play, but calories are clearly important. They, they are important, but the type of, of foods make a huge difference, you know, whether or not you're eating protein, fat, or carbs. And, and then within the protein, fats, and carbs, there are good proteins and bad proteins, good carbs and bad carbs. And then even there, if you have a bad carb, the way you eat it can make a difference. So it turns out. Can you define the, what makes something good? What makes something bad? if it tries to drive a process that wants to make you gain weight. So it turns out that um, our main discovery is that there is a switch that animals use to go from being a normal weight to overweight. That switch, you can activate it by certain types of foods. And uh, not all foods activate it. And it's a specific pathway. We've actually identified the very steps in that pathway. And the incredible thing, the more we study this, uh, the more it appears that this is a pathway that's driving not just obesity and diabetes, but that it's involved in a variety of diseases, including uh, dementia and uh, cancer and uh, behavioral disorders and you know, high blood pressure and kidney disease and liver disease. I mean, I've, I feel very fortunate that I've fallen on this. And we've been doing studies for now about 25 years, but as it gets stronger and stronger, um, I realized that I needed to write about it. And so... Um, What's the pathway called, by the way? Well, uh, I call it the survival switch. Um, and uh, because it's a, it's a basic process animals use to try to protect themselves from time when there's no food. 
So for example, most animals will regulate their weight very tightly. So uh, if they eat- How do you know that? Uh, but, oh, for example, like um, if you take uh, a lab, laboratory rat, or if you take um, an animal in the wild and you catch it and you've, let's say you force feed it, you make it gain weight. And then you take, you quit the force feeding and the animal will come right back to its weight. And not only that, it'll come back to the weight it's supposed to be at that time of the year. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. And likewise, if you uh, take the food away from an animal and it loses weight, um, you give it back food and it will go right back to the weight it's supposed to, it thinks it should be at. And so normally animals regulate weight really, really well. But there are some animals that when they know that there's going to be a problem, like uh, winter's coming, like, uh, oh, you know, I got to like fly 12,000 kilometers nonstop to get to my, my uh, you know, where I'm going to head for migration. You know, uh, when they know that, they will um, suddenly start gaining weight dramatically. Um, a bear can gain eight to 10 pounds a day. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Now, so let's- 20,000 calories. How and, do we know then that, because you said the animal will go back to the weight that it's supposed to be for that time of year. So how do we know that there's not like a weight clock in the way that there's a circadian rhythm clock? Good, good question. So we figured out that it's, there's a, a food that triggers this. So normally weight is regulated by a hormone called leptin. There are other regulatory hormones too, but this one is a big one. So it's not a shift in metabolic rate, it's a shift in hunger levels? Oh, it's both, it's a whole orchestrated event. So what happens is um, it turns out that the, the main way, a major way that it's done is by eating fructose, which is a sugar that's in fruit and honey. And when an animal started eating fructose, uh, it activates a, this metabolic pathway. You have to eat a lot of it. It's not like uh, you and I eating an apple, okay? It's like, a, I mean, like a bear will eat like 10,000 berries <laughs> like, like at one setting. Uh, I mean, it's really like you have to eat a large amount of fructose. And when you do, it triggers the switch that makes you hungry. It makes you thirsty. It affects the brain centers. You can show where it affects it. And, and it will want you to do foraging behavior where you go out and seek and try to find food. But while you're foraging, your activity continues to be good, your metabolism's good. But when you stop foraging, the, your resting energy metabolism actually goes to a lower level. So your basal metabolic rate or your meta, you know, how many calories you're spending in a day, the foraging uh, will cut, you, you'll spend calories foraging, but when you're resting, you'll do, you'll, you'll actually spend less calories. You, you stay more quiet than a normal animal. So really fast, there's an idea that was introduced to me that made intuitive sense. The idea was that when we're eating, food is really a signaling molecule. And so it gives our body certain signals. And what you're saying is that eating fructose signals to our body 
that, hey, winter is coming, prepare for this. Yes. And so we've co-evolved with plants. Plants, for their own reasons, want us to eat their fruit. Right. Uh, but we have evolved to really go hard on fruit at, a, at the time of year when it's actually available because the next thing coming is fall and then winter. Right. And so those who responded to the signal of fructose by lowering their basal metabolic rate beginning to store fat, and we'll get into like some of the processes that quote unquote break, but it's, it's actually beneficial in terms of the people that had this response, got fatter when they ate it, they sought out more food, their basal metabolic rate went down, they started storing fat, there's this whole host of things that happen, and because of hard times, most people that didn't have that response died. And then right. the people that did, they were able to survive. So we're going to, for most of the episode, we're going to be talking about this as if it's bad, but there's actually a reason yes. why this happens. And for me to think about food as a signaling molecule rather than just calories in, calories out was really helpful. That's right. So it turns out that there is this uh, symbiosis with plants, but you had mentioned this first. So, you know, so plants will, are, you know, the tree, fruit trees, well, a lot of times the fruit, fruit will ripen in the fall, and that's at the time when the animals are trying to gain fat. And so the, when they ripen, the sugar content goes up, the fructose content goes up, and the seeds mature, and things like vitamin C and things that actually block the effects of fructose, block this pathway, go down. So the vitamin C levels go down, the sugar goes up, the fruit drops, now the seeds are mature, the animals eat the fruit, and then they disperse the seeds in their poop, and and then you have uh, it's it's great for the plants because now there's more trees, and uh, it's great for the animals because they can put on fat. So it stimulates fat. It also stimulates insulin resistance, and insulin resistance. I used to think of it as pathologic. You know, you don't want to be insulin resistant, but if you're an animal, insulin resistance means that the glucose in your body can't get into the muscle very well because that requires insulin to get into the muscle. But the, most of the brain does not require insulin. And so it leaves the, the glucose for the brain. So you can, you know, which is what you want to do. If you don't have enough fuel, you want to shunt the fuel to the brain because if you can't think you're going to not do well. <laughs> so, so anyway, so this switch um, is activated by fructose. And, um, and the way it works is it drops the energy in the cell. I'm, I know that sounds funny because all calories create energy, but there's, you have to think of, when I say drop the energy in the cell, I mean the active usable energy. So when you eat calories, basically it can go into stored energy, which is fat for the most part. And uh, it can go into active energy, which we call ATP. And the ATP is what you and I use to talk, to think, to walk. I, I got here using my ATP. I walked in with, because I have ATP going. <laughs> and uh, so, so, you know, ATP is your immediate usable energy. And so what it does is the ATP normally comes from the energy factories in the cell. We, we call them mitochondria. And, they, and, and really, this is totally it. If you're into health, you want healthy mitochondria. Mitochondrial health. They make the energy, and obesity is an energy disorder, you know, and diabetes is an energy disorder. So these little mitochondria are pouring out the ATP. But there's an ancient system, too, called glycolysis, which can make ATP. And, uh, and so that, there's another system which is rarely kicks in. So mainly it's these energy factories. 
And what this switch does is it depresses the mitochondria. It depresses, it, it does it by causing like oxidative stress to those mitochondria. And so the amount of ATP gets, there's less ATP being made. And so the calories are shunted to stored fat instead of instant fat. It just shunts it. It shunts it from instant energy to stored energy. And the stored energy is the fat. It's a brilliant system. And so be, and why, be, why through oxidative stress to the mitochondria does, what is shunting, because I'm assuming you mean the calories. So the calories, instead of going to produce ATP, are going to be stored as fat. Right. What mechanism in the body is saying, why? Because it's, there's some mechanism that's saying ATP, the production of ATP has become inefficient. We're better off storing this as fat. So, so the way ATP is produced is, um, you know, there's the, there's breakdown products that go into us thing called the citric acid cycle or Krebs cycle and then it, it moves on to the uh, to oxidative phosphorylation where the uh, you, you produce the, the mitochondria start producing a lot of ATP and, and they require oxygen a lot of the oxygen we breathe goes to make the ATP and what happens is some of the enzymes in these cycles the things that kind of move the stuff around and break it down to the next step and so that it can make ATP, they're sensitive to oxidative stress. So that if there's oxidative stress goes up, those enzymes get inhibited. And so that, that pathway to make ATP is, is slowed down or reduced or can, it's not fully stopped, but it's like slowed down. And so when that happens, the mitochondria make less ATP. So it turns out that there's more uh, shunting, uh, some of the metabolites actually go and, and stimulate fat production and also to block the uh, burning effect. So there's, it stimulates both the synthesis of fat and it blocks the breaking down of fat. And so that, it's like a double whammy. And so what happens is the calories end up getting stored as fat and the amount of energy produced is less. Mm. And then what happens is the low energy makes you hungry so then you eat more and so it stores more fat because it's the shunt still going on but eventually the atp levels start coming up because you're eating more and more so it's a brilliant system and um and when we first discovered this pathway uh, and realized it was orchestrating the whole series of events um then then we realized that there was another side to it which is that um that the body can make fructose. This is even worse. That was worse. maybe one of the most shocking things in the book. And I, it, it bears explaining to people what made you ask that question in the first place. Because if I look at this with my the hat on of like, hold on, hold on, you're just violating the second law of thermodynamics. Like you have to be overeating in order to put on fat. And so walk people through, why did you start asking that question in the first place? What, why, when you well, discover me, that fructose makes people fat, why weren't you like, we're done? Yeah, listen, so there are two questions you just brought up. So if you don't mind, I'll answer the, fir the first one, which is the, the law of thermodynamics. And it gets back to the calorie question. Okay, so, so when we found that animals who were eating fructose started to eat more, and they got really fat, and they got diabetic, and they got fatty liver, and they got their triglycerides went up to their blood, and and they, be, you know, they develop uh, low-grade kidney disease. I mean, it was like, this is coming from sugar, you know? I mean, 
oh my God, I, you know, lust, they call sugar poison. I understand why, because when you put this into overload, you really create a monster. But anyway, so, uh, so the question was, well, is that because they're eating too much, because it's stimulating hunger? But what if we made it so that all the animals ate the same amount of food? So even though you're hungry, I'm not going to give you the food you want. So what we're going to do is we're going to feed all the animals the same amount. And then we had a control group and a high sugar or fructose group. And I should say that sugar has fructose in it. So table sugar, high fructose corn syrup, um, these are the main sources of fructose for us. So when we did that and we took those animals and we gave them exactly the same so it turned out, remember how I told you that it makes you hungry and eat more, but it also drops your resting energy metabolism. So because it drops your energy metabolism, if you're eating the same number of calories, there will be some weight gain in the sugar group. Also, we did a trick where we gave them less calories than they normally eat. So they were like on a diet, but one's on a high sugar diet, one's on a control diet. And when we put them on the high sugar diet, um, those animals became diabetic. They became, they got fatty liver. They, they, uh, you know, developed high triglycerides. Did they, they store body fat? They had, they had more body fat, but their weights were very, very similar. Because of the lower energy metabolism, they actually were about 10 to 20 grams difference in weight. They actually, even though they were on a caloric restriction, they gained 10 grams and of weight, these are rats, so the 10 grams <laughs> isn't anything for us, but, but if you're a rat, it's a little bit more. So they gained weight and the, the, group, the other group lost weight, so, but it wasn't statistically significant. So in our paper, we had to say it was, there was no statistical difference in weight, yet despite no statistical difference in weight, there was a dramatic uh, difference in everything else. They were, became diabetic. So there's two pathways, right? So one is, yes, if you go on a, a high sugar diet and you uh, also go on, uh, have a high fat in the diet, the fat is actually playing a role because the high sugar makes you hungry and makes you lose control of your appetite. But the high fat is like super high calories. And so you gain weight very fast. If you just put an animal on a high sugar diet, they gain weight, but it's uh, not, is it takes a lot longer but the fat is like the firewood and the sugar is like the fire so if you take away the fire and you go on a low carb diet and you are in high fat now well there's no stimulus to gain weight because uh because you've taken away the the fructose okay and so the, the answer to your question is yes calories are important but also there's something special about fructose where even if you're on a caloric restriction it's going to make you diabetic that's crazy. Yeah. So there's all these knock-on effects of having the fructose, but the part where I was like, okay, what you're saying makes a prediction that if I'm just eating glucose, for instance, which literally until the, the idea of uric acid and all this stuff, which we haven't even got to uric acid yet, but you, until all of this got on my radar, I would have said that, okay, fructose maybe is a little bit worse because it can only be stored in your liver and your muscles, and so you just don't have a way to use it, uh, but that glucose would be terrible as well. Yeah, well, so you got me. So, you know, so this leads into the second part of your question, and that, that was, okay, so uh, what made you uh, 
realized that fructose was being built, uh, made in the body. And, you know, originally, so I, I, you know, when the first data came out, I said, okay, fructose is the bad guy. And I even published a book, the first book on a low fructose diet uh, called The Sugar Fix. And some people lost weight great and some didn't. And I was on an interview with Jimmy Moore and Jimmy says, hey, you know, Rick, uh, you know, I, I know that sugar's bad, but I have to cut out bread and rice and potatoes to lose weight. I have to do full carb restriction. And I was pretty aware that, 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 that bread was fattening and, um, and French fries, they couldn't be good, you know. And also there are a lot of animals in the wild that get fat and they're not eating fruit, you know? Uh, and so the question- Can you give us an example? Oh, uh, like for example, a whale. <laughs> they're the fattest animal. I haven't seen one eat a banana. <laughs> they probably would eat one, but anyway, we knew that the body can make fructose. This was known for 50 years. And, um, and uh, so fructose is actually can be made in the body. There's only one way it can be made. And it's through a thing where um, an enzyme has to be turned on. And it's called, uh, it's the polyol pathways that it's called. But you, normally it's pretty quiet. It's not present. So when you're young, it's not really around. Do we have a sense of why that would be? Like why are kids, because they're already storing more fat? Like I don't understand why, if there is any benefit that led us to producing fructose, which I'm assuming there is, why it wouldn't be present in kids? Well, I think that um, fructose is really turned, this whole pathway is turned on in situations of stress. Okay. So if you're not stressed, you know, so if the baby is being breastfed and everything's going fine, uh, it's going to have very low levels, mm -hmm. but you can turn it on. It can even go up locally with stress. Like when you have a heart attack, the, the heart cells will start, will convert and start metabolizing and making fructose. Why? When the heart starts to make fructose um, and, uh, and turns on the enzymes to make fructose, it tries to turn on the switch locally. And remember that what it does is uh, it suppresses the mitochondria. Mm -hmm. And the mitochondria are using a lot of oxygen to make ATP. Can I use the phrase that you use in the book? Energy factories. You, what, you call this the alarm bell. Oh, yeah. And I was like, okay. So, and that made sense to me. So alarm, winter's coming. Alarm, you just had a heart attack. And so if this is the body's alarm bell, then I would understand why it would be produced locally. I don't yeah, yet understand yes. why fructose, but... Yeah, so what happens is uh, when the fructose is produced, uh, it, it causes that oxidative stress to the energy factories and it reduces the oxygen needs. The, the, the mitochondria become less active, so they consume less oxygen. That's why. And so it's trying to protect the heart because reduce, in a heart attack, you would have less oxygen Yes, because the, the blood supply has been impaired. So there's less oxygen. So it's trying to help you. And then shifts it to this uh, primitive system to make energy. And this wow. primitive system doesn't make a lot of energy. And so what happens is it might be protective for a few minutes, but over time, it actually leads to thickening of the heart, hypertrophy, disease of the heart, and this has been we also been shown like in the kidneys and with, with, with if you have acute kidney failure again this the fructose system gets turned on in the kidney and it tries to protect but it ends up causing inflammation um, and fibrosis and all these things because we have an exuberant response mm. and one of the reasons we have that exuberant response is because of uric acid
But, but getting back to the very basic question, so when I, uh, I originally thought, okay, the answer is we can just cut out fructose in the diet, but then I realized that, that you know, carbs could do it uh, that, weren't, that did not contain fructose. And then I realized that uh, myself and Miguel and Aspa, who I work with, the two of us were having a discussion, and we realized that uh, when you eat a high glycemic carb, you could theoretically start making fructose in your body. And the reason that is, is that one, one of the classic means for stimulating fructose turns out to be um, from a high glucose level in the blood. So if you're diabetic and you have a high glucose level in the blood, it had all been, already been reported that that stimulates fructose production. So people with bad diabetes have a lot of fructose that they're making. Mm -hmm. And the fructose is playing a role in their kidney disease. We can block the kidney disease from diabetes uh, by, by reducing the, the, or blocking the effects of fructose. So it's pretty cool. So, uh, so since high glucose can stimulate uh, fructose production, we realize that you know every time you eat bread or rice or potatoes, the glucose in your blood goes up a bit. And you know it stimulates insulin, yeah, but it might stimulate fructose. And so we did these experiments where we put animals on glucose, and I was originally thinking they wouldn't get fat, but you're right. They got really fat. They, got, they were waddling around. I mean, you know. And, uh, and so then we gave the glucose to animals that could not uh, either make fructose because we had genetically removed that enzyme, or they couldn't metabolize fructose, so we genetically removed that enzyme. And when we could do that, they could eat the carbs and they gained a little bit of weight. They did gain modest weight, but they, were, they, they didn't get a big weight gain and they didn't get the, uh, the fatty liver and they didn't get uh, insulin resistance and they were really protected. So basically, if you don't produce fructose or you can't metabolize the fructose that's there, you won't have this exaggerated response. Right. Yeah, and there, there are people who lack that enzyme and they, no, none of them have ever been reported to be obese or diabetic. They, Very they, interesting. They are completely healthy. So if fructose, though, is the alarm bell, why do you think glucose triggers the alarm bell? Well, it's a good question. So um, uh, it turns out that when the glucose level goes up in the blood, it creates a sense of dehydration. And... Um, and you probably know that people who are diabetic are often very thirsty and drink mm. lots of water. And it also turns out that dehydration is the biggest stimulus for fructose production. More than eating uh, glucose? They're about the same, but the, eating the glucose makes you, uh, stimulates uh, a sense of dehydration. Hmm. And so, um, but what, we, what, what happens is that what triggers the production of fructose uh is if you start becoming dehydrated. I know the punchline here. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay, keep going. But now that I can predict where the problem comes in, that's really, keep going? Yeah. I'm almost so certain I know what the answer yeah, is here. So it turns out that a lot of animals use fat, not just as a calorie source, but as a source of water. Yep. Because when you burn fat, you produce water. So the camel has the fat on its back that breaks down the fat in the hump when it needs water. And the whale doesn't drink uh, salt water, so it gets its fresh water from the crustaceans and things it eats, the fish and stuff it eats. But it also uh, gets the water from its fat. There's even a primate, a, a dwarf 
uh, fat-tailed or fat-tailed dwarf lemur, and that guy uh, lives on its. It will um, hibernate, or they call it estivation, but it's like hibernation, like five months during the dry season, and it will use its fat to produce water. So it turns out that fat is the source of water. So when an animal gets dehydrated, and it, particularly if they're worried that they're going to become dehydrated, they will start to gain fat as a source of, as a way to help give them water during the times of need. And the best way to do that is like um, to create a little bit of dehydration. So if your glucose levels are high, that's one way. But if you a deer and you're looking at salt lake, that would be another way. Because when you take salt, the salt concentration goes up in the blood, sort of like the glucose concentration, and that triggers thirst. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And so, so crazy. Boom. So when a deer or a cow is licking a salt lake, it's a way to trigger in their body the storage of fat as a protective mechanism against yeah. basically either famine yeah. or lack of water. Yeah. So deer, uh, you know, they eat a lot of uh, grass and stuff that's calorie poor. So they, they need stimulus to help, help them store adequate amounts of ca- uh, calories. But uh, what we did do, though, is we took... Uh, study we did studies in people so maybe that's more relevant (laughs) so what we did well well first what we did is we we did a study in animals when we put them on a high salt diet and you know uh salt you know people know that salt's associated with blood pressure and uh heart trouble but um no one really had linked salt with obesity in the common literature you know but there were in the medical literature there was um uh, some studies showing that people who eat a high salt diet are at increased risk for obesity. And there's like 10 studies out there. And so it seemed kind of odd. How would salt, which has no calories, increase your risk for getting fat? But when, when we put animals on salt, it raised the salt concentration in their blood. They became thirsty, of course, and they started eating more. And um, after several months, they became hugely fat diabetic and everything and then if we just from salt yeah didn't increase their no. glucose didn't increase their fructose no nope. they weren't salt. even getting any fructose they were just on normal chow and they and they became 
they became hungry, they lost their control of appetite, they started gaining weight, um, and they became diabetic and they had fatty liver. Off of salt. Off of salt, just increasing salt. Now, I will get there in a bit because I, I know you're, we're going to talk about salt in terms of how modern diets and the low carb diet. So we can get there. But anyway, so, so what happened was they were making fructose. The salt activated the enzyme that converted glucose to fructose. So the, the glucose that they're getting from their chow was being converted to fructose very easily because the salt really turned it on. So you didn't have to get, have a high glucose in your blood. It was just enough to just turn it on and then what glucose you have a lot of it's being converted to fructose. And so what happened was if we blocked the fructose, we could, uh, we, we could block the fructose production or the fructose, uh, the breaking down of fructose. And when we did that, they could eat all the salt they want and they didn't get fat. Wow. And what's more, they didn't, did, even, they didn't even get high blood pressure. So the high blood pressure was going through that pathway. So then, uh, the, so then we looked at people and we found that high salt diet also predicted fatty liver and obesity and diabetes in people, and so uh, along with others. And then uh, it's been, there was a group that discovered that there's a hormone called vasopressin, which mm. goes up when you're dehydrated. And so all these animals in the desert have high vasopressin levels. And vasopressin is a hormone to help you hold water. And it's high in people who with obesity. So everybody with, in fact, um, Jody Stuckey, this wonderful scientist, found that, um, that people who are obese, uh, depending on what measure you use, they can be 12 times more likely to be dehydrated than a, a non-obese person. Whoa. Uh, that's using a thing called bioimpedance. And if you measure, um, you know, the classic measure, which is the salt concentration in your blood, uh, they're two times, people who are obese are two times more likely to be dehydrated than a, a lean person. And so it turns out that a lot of people who are obese are not just eating bad diets like sugar, they're eating a lot of salt. Mm. And, uh, and the salt is activating this pathway to make sugar, to make fructose and to metabolize fructose. And so what's going on is, there's a, uh, is that there's a secret driving, another secret driving mechanism for obesity. So you, now we, we know that high glycemic carbs can do it and we know that salty foods can do it. But the way salt works is it works by converting the glucose in our body to fructose. So if you're on a low carb diet and you're eating uh, salt, you're gonna make less fructose because you just don't have much glucose mm. around. So um, a lot of people who go on a low carb diet will actually eat kind of a lot of salty foods and, and they don't get fat because they, they don't have the glucose to convert. This is so interesting to me, the way that this is all working. Okay, so we've got the salt is triggering the enzyme that allows us to turn glucose into fructose and the reason that our ancestors who did that would have been more likely to survive is because we're for us to be in that kind of situation it means that there's a drought coming so we're, we may not have access to either enough food to get water out of the food or enough direct water to stay hydrated and therefore triggering the alarm system and making sure that we store fat so that we can repurpose it as water becomes a very meaningful thing. That's insane, but okay. Uh, glucose can be turned easily into fructose. Again, this is the alarm system. Um, why 
glucose triggers the alarm system though. That's purely because I'm getting dehydrated. Why though? Does it actually dehydrate me or is it dehydration-like? And if it's dehydration-like, why is glucose in and of itself problematic? Okay, well, so when the glucose is high in the blood, um, it does create a sense of dehydration. And is that the only problem? Because that to no, me feels like No, because it a... also um, mimics a thing called insulin resistance. So if you eat most starches, for example, um, you know, or vegetables or things like that that have glucose in them. Uh, many of them are not going to trigger the switch because the switch only gets activated when the glucose levels are high, which when the glucose levels are high, it makes it, the animal feel it's dehydrated. Mm -hmm. so, so classically dehydration, uh, we talk about dehydration as a loss of water. And so, uh, you know, you have diarrhea or you're vomiting or you're sweating too much and you lose water and you become dehydrated. Um, so we usually think of dehydration as a loss of water. And when you lose the water, the concentrations of salt and, uh, goes up in your blood. Because the water's been stripped right, out. Right, because the water's been stripped out. You can mimic dehydration. It's really the same thing as dehydration by eating salt. Because when you eat salt, the salt concentration goes up, but you haven't lost the water. So it's kind of a pseudo dehydration because you didn't lose the water, you gained the salt. But it's the same effect. The animal wants to keep the concentrations of salt and glucose normal in its blood mm. because it allows a movement in and out of the cells. I mean, it's really important in how transport works. Now, if you eat most foods with starch or glucose, you know, the glucose concentrations don't go up much. But if you eat uh, high glycemic carbs and you eat like a lot of potatoes or rice or something, then your glucose can go up right after the meal. And we can show that with like a continuous glucose monitor. Yep. And when the glucose goes up, it, there, for some reason, this uh, pathway to make fructose is activated. We don't, I don't absolutely know why, but uh, the, I know that there's um, what we call an osmolarity trigger. And when you, when, uh, an osmolarity is a, a, a name for the concentration of glucose plus salt. So, so when the glucose to... goes up and the osmolality goes up, or, or the number, the concentration of, of the blood gets higher, it makes the animal feel it's dehydrated. And, and it, is, it is actually a type of dehydration. It's just that you're not losing water uh, so much as your glucose is, is, is going up and the concentration of electrolytes and glucose go up in the blood. Now, when you're diabetic, you're also peeing a lot of urine because the glucose gets into the urine and, and so you are becoming dehydrated based on that. So, but it's, uh, it's sort of a argumentative point, but when you eat, if your glucose goes up in your blood, it triggers the production of fructose. Okay, so the thing that I'm trying to make sure that I understand is why the body would care about that. So it seems to me like fructose is just the mechanism of action, but it's really anything that's causing an imbalance in my blood that the body cares about, basically. So if I've got too high of a concentration of salt, then my body's gonna trigger fructose. If I've got too much um, glucose in my system, my body's going to trigger fructose. Right. So it's whenever my blood is getting out of balance, I'm triggering this alarm it, system. It, whenever you're thirsty. 
So the, the commonality is that when this goes up, it creates, um, it creates a dehydration type of picture. And, and dehydration and that, and by that definition. Means you're going to be thirsty and you're going to release this hormone vasopressin. So okay. all roads that lead to Rome involve fructose. So it's either the fructose you eat or the fructose you make. If you eat a lot of fructose, you're going to activate the switch. And Rome, just so we're clear, is metabolic disease. That's, that's the switch where you turn on to become diabetic and all these things. So, so when, the, when you eat a lot of fructose, that will do it. If you become dehydrated, like with salty diets and so forth, that will do it. If you eat high glycemic foods, that can do it too. So those are like the three main ones. And it turns out that the way the fructose works is it works through the production of a substance called uric acid. And the uric acid is, um, it's a normal substance that we all make. All animals make it. And when, we, when you make it, then you have to excrete it. And most animals excrete it by breaking it down. But we lost our ability to break it down. Uh, during, a, a, you know, 15 million years ago. And so we, all humans, have a higher uric acid than uh, everybody, than all other m mammals. Apes also have this mutation. So anyway, so, so we have a higher uric acid. And this makes us more sensitive to the effects of fructose because fructose is working through uric acid and when, when we can't break the uric acid down and fructose makes it, the uric acid shoots up higher than it normally would. And when that happens, we become very sensitive to sugar and to all of these pathways. So a normal animal um, has to eat even more fructose than we do to, to really get the effect. Mm -hmm. And we are very sensitive to sugar. And so uh, the uric acid is the thing that actually causes that stunning of the energy factories. And, and, and so the uric acid is playing a key role. So uric acid is the um, oxidative Yes, that's what causes damage. the oxidative stress. Okay. It's, the, it's the main guy. So, uh, so it helps orchestrate that drop in energy in the cell. And when that happens, when the energy goes down, there's the alarm signal, you trigger this huge switch and animals want to gain fat. And so the problem is, is we had this mutation because it occurred during the period of famine. It was probably important for us to survive. Mm. And now we have this mutation, so we're sensitive to sugar. And now we're getting tons of high fructose corn syrup and table sugar, and it's being put in our food. And we have salt being put in all this processed food. And, and then here's, here's the terrible twist. It turns out that uric acid has its own taste uh, too. So, so we have five tastes. That we right? like. Yes, that we like. So there's sweet and salt. We like those. Sweet, that's to get fructose. Salt, that's to trigger the production of fructose. Then we have bitter and sour, which are to, you know, tell us not to eat those foods. And then we have umami. And the umami is called the fifth taste. And it's this brilliant taste. It's like... Um, a savory flavor. It's it's what you know in gravies and beef extracts and you know, the drying and curing of meats. Uh, you know leads to this really delicious flavor. It's uh, it's in beer. It's the yeast extract in beer. Uh, it's in tomatoes. Believe it or not, um, 
and uh, and you know the Bloody Mary is a perfect example of uh, a, a nice umami food beer, and uh, it's an Oregon meats. Um, it's in blue cheese when you have that delicious blue cheese salad. Blue cheese it's, freaks me out. So I don't know about that one. But. Okay, <laughs> well I like it. <laughs> uh, Caesar salads and the anchovies. They, so what it is is um, it turns out that when they figured out what umami was. The thing that activates umami is an amino acid called glutamate mm. or MSG. And when you eat glutamate, guess what you make? Uric acid. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> it's terrible. And, and it's also uh, stimulated by a substance called AMP and INP, which are breakdown products of ATP. And when you activate this switch, the ATP is broken down and you make the INP and AMP. The switch makes these substances that are part of the umami flavor. And so uh, when we give animals umami uh, and we give them umami in, in the drinking water so they get a high concentration, they also can become obese. And it's because they enter into this pathway after fructose. When you eat fructose, you make uric acid. And when you eat umami, you kind of bypass the fructose, but you still make that uric acid. Mm. You so, make it or it's now present because you've just eaten it? No, it's, it's, it's made from the glutamate, the glutamate and from the IMP and uh, yeah, they, they, it's upstream. So it actually will generate uric acid. So, okay, <laughs> now is MSG more potent than even fructose? Yeah, so if you do it gram for gram, MSG is more potent than sugar. But we don't eat very much umami. Mm. So the average person's eating, you know, a few grams of umami a day, you know, and you're eating grams and grams of sugar. So there's a huge difference, right? So in the potency, sugar is number one. High glycemic carbs are probably number two. Salty foods are a a distant three. And umami is maybe even a four. But, you know... um, it, the, the whole thing's kind of interesting. So, you know, um, and, and, and the fructose, when you eat it, um, is acting to activate this survival pathway, which is supposed to be beneficial. But when you're in overdrive, because you've got the mutation and all this, mm. now it's driving obesity. And, and, um, and so the, the newest stuff is that we're now showing that this pathway is like involved in things like dementia and so forth. And that uh, when in Alzheimer's, there's evidence that the earliest problem is insulin resistance in the brain. And insulin, you know, the brain doesn't normally need much insulin to get glucose, uh, but there's certain parts of the brain that do require insulin and uh, insulin resistance to those parts can be the earliest sign of Alzheimer's. And you can show that in people with Alzheimer's that they're making fructose in their brain, Mm -hmm. You can show that they've activated the pathway. You can show that fructose causes insulin resistance in the brain. It drops the energy in the cell. And in Alzheimer's, the ATP levels are low. They have mitochondrial problems. They have all the, all the markers. So what's happening is Alzheimer's, I believe, is actually being driven by this pathway. Um, salty foods, high glycemic carbs chronically can, can cause this. The other, um, the other thing I should mention is that what we know is like this fructose sort of initiates this, but over time the mitochondria will actually, or the energy factories get less and less and less because initially 
when you do this, the, the, there's just this transient oxidative stress and the switch is turned on and then you stop it, the switch comes back, you know, I mean, the, the switch is turned off and everything's fine. But if you keep hitting it again and again and again and again, over years, what happens is the mitochondria actually get weakened and it's, it's like involved in, in the aging process. And, in, and, in the, and, and as the number of mitochondria go down, then what happens is you, it resets your body weight to a higher weight. And so what happens is now when you try to lose weight, um, you, you can lose the weight, but then when you stop, you go back up. And that's why exercise is so important. I know you do a lot of exercise. Good for you, Matt. Yeah, if I'm honest, I control my weight through diet far more than exercise. Right. I might think I was better at exercising if I wasn't married to my wife, who is a beast when it comes to exercise. <laughs> She's really on point. Um, man, this stuff is is really crazy. And one thing that I loved about the book is you walk people through, because you weren't flippant about the science. You would get a discovery and you'd be like, let's check it from eight different angles. Um, one of the ways that that really hit me was vitamin C. Yeah. Walk me through vitamin C's role in this. We can't produce it, but it has like these huge effects. Like why, why from an evolutionary standpoint would it make sense for us to lose the ability to produce vitamin C? Yeah. So, so vitamin C is, is good, right? It's an antioxidant. It's, you know, so the, the big question is why, why would we lose vitamin C uh, in our past. So we, we used to be able to make vitamin C way, way long ago. But uh, uh, probably around 60 million years ago, 65 million years ago, we lost the ability to make vitamin C. And, um, and it turns out when a fruit is being made, you know, as it's, and it's maturing, it starts off with a high vitamin C content and a low sugar content. It turns out that vitamin C um, blocks the oxidative stress induced by the fructose mm -hmm. because it's an antioxidant, so it blocks it. So fructose causes you to gain weight by creating oxidative stress and that vitamin C blocks it. So when the fruit's immature, the tree doesn't want the bird to eat it because the seeds aren't mature. You know, it's not good. So that it wants to wait till the seeds are mature. And so it will wait and the vitamin C content will block, you know, will, the animal won't gain much weight by eating an immature fruit because the vitamin C is going to block the, the fructose. But as the so fruit crazy. ripens, the vitamin C goes down and the sugar goes up. And now the, it's good for the tree and it's good for the animal. And so the, they'll eat the ripe fruit. So it turns out vitamin C has a role in blocking of fructose. And what we did is we took animals that were had no, could not make vitamin C. And you have to give them a little bit or they'll get scurvy and die. <laughs> so that's, so you got to, all the animals get a little bit of vitamin C, but one, one group gets a little and one group gets a lot. And then uh, we give them sugar and they eat the same amount of actually high fructose corn syrup. And the one that has the lower uh, amount of, of vitamin C and low, they got much fatter. Linus Pauling was right. We should all be on 500 milligrams a day. Uh, if you take huge doses, you can get kidney stones. So <laughs> remember that. So don't take huge doses of vitamin C, but 500 milligrams a day is really good. And, um, and uh, once you get up to a gram a day, you know, uh, it also may have some effects on exercise, which I talk about in my book. So, but 500 milligrams a day is great. And it turned out that when this mutation occurred, uh, an asteroid had just hit the world 
and uh, there was a massive extinction. The dinosaurs became extinct, and their little primates that were living that time uh, actually got this mutation. And my belief is that the mutation uh, was a survival mechanism. So they, they, at that point, they didn't make much vitamin C, so they were kind of in a low vitamin C level, so that when they ate a fruit, even if there was some vitamin C, it wasn't enough to add to what they were making so that they could make more fat. So that's the, the hypothesis. I mean, so, um, you know, in my work, we have the, the hard science and then we have the interpretation but uh, I, I do know that if you have a low vitamin C level, you're at increased risk for obesity if you're an animal. And the data in people shows the same. People who are not eating a lot of vitamin C or have low vitamin C levels tend to be overweight. Vitamin C supplementation has been, public, has been reported to help all aspects of the metabolic syndrome. So. It's insane. <laughs> yes. All right. Walk people through really quickly then what they should be doing. Drink lots well, of water. Yeah. yeah. So the so the first thing is, um, you know, uh, know your foods that that can activate the switch, and know the foods that don't. Um, and you know, vegetables, of course, are good. Uh, white meats, um, a lot of fish are good. Uh, uh, red meats, you have to be a little bit careful for. Uh, I wouldn't eat a lot of them. Um, and uh, high glycemic because of umami. Yes, because of the umami, and um, and and it also yes. It, it, it's probably because of the umami that it, it has its uh, negative sides. But basically, uh, the, the most important rule is liquid sugar is really dangerous. And, and the reason is, is um, when you have liquid sugar, the, uh, you drink a lot very quickly. And so the concentration is high as well as the amount. And what triggers the switch is the concentration of fructose the liver sees. So if you have a soft drink and you drink it in one minute, you're gonna give a huge dose in a short period of time. That means a high concentration. If you took that large soft drink and you sipped it, so that, and you sipped it over three hours, it's just gonna be a calorie. You're never gonna get the, the fructose concentration will never get high enough to activate the switch. So if you did one sip every five minutes, you're not, you, I doubt you're gonna activate the switch. Um, and then, uh, you know, so, so it's it, liquid sugars, you got to watch that. Um, fruit juice, I love fruit juice, but unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, it will activate the switch for sure. And so I would not, uh, I would be very careful with the fruit juices. Um, there may be some fruit juices that are safer, like fruits that are really relatively low in fructose, like kiwi and stuff. There's mm. berries, uh, some of them don't have much sugar in it. Um, and those might be fine. Uh, a, th a third thing would be, um, you know, obviously desserts and candy and sugar uh, cakes you have to be very careful with, um, but, you know, and try to minimize. Uh, but, you know, I, if my son has a birthday party, I'm going to eat a piece of cake. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, try not to eat too much of the sweets. High glycemic carbs, I, I think there's four big ones, right? Bread, rice, potatoes, cereal, you know, our chips. Um, gosh, watch those. Those are real. I, I recommend trying to avoid those if possible. Um, and, uh, you know, if you're going to eat one, just eat. And then, you know, drink a lot of water. I mean, one of the incredible things is uh, most people who are overweight are dehydrated. 
and they're dehydrated not only from the salt, but it turns out fructose dehydrates you too. And I didn't go into that. But if you give a person a soft drink, that is not hydrating, okay? That is dehydrating. It, and you can prove it. And if you give animals uh, soft drinks and you give them a lot of water, you can block the effects of sugar partially. I mean, you know, significantly. Uh, so you should drink six to eight glasses of water a day. Some people can drink 10 to 12. But, you know, you can, you can become water intoxic intoxicated. And if you're a marathon runner, drink to thirst. And because uh, marathon runners, if they drink too much water, they can actually drop their sodium concentrations and, and get really, really ill. Or if immediately following surgery is another time you should not drink a lot of water. But mm. for most of us, you, we sh we're not drinking enough water and we should be drinking eight to 10 glasses of water a day. And that's probably one of the best messages when you reduce your salt intake. Um, and you know, things like intermittent fasting, it's fantastic. That's a wonderful system and low carb diets, wonderful for trying to lose weight. And then exercising is, is turns out to be a great way not to lose weight because it doesn't burn many calories, but it stimulates the mitochondria. You won't notice the benefit ex except the benefit's going to be happening because as the mitochondria go up, your risk for relapse and gaining weight goes down. So exercise, and it's a particular kind of exercise, we call it zone two. That kind of exercise is really, really important. Uh, and it's, you know, it's something that I personally want to do more of. Uh, you know, as a workaholic, that's probably the thing I have the hardest time is finding that extra time during the day to exercise. Mm -hmm. but, no, I hear it. Well, you've been putting your time to very good use. I found your book utterly fascinating. Where can people follow along with you socially? Where do they get the book? I, I have a website, drrichardjohnson.com, and that's probably my main site. Um, and then, of course, the, the book's available through regular, you know, all... Places. Wherever good books are sold. Yeah, wherever <laughs> books are sold. And, um, uh, you, you know, I do have uh, Instagram, uh, Dr. Richard J. Johnson. Awesome. Well, guys, the book is fascinating. I have become obsessed with what's going on metabolically from the signaling molecule idea, uric acid, uh, that whole alarm bell chain is something that I'm starting to pay a lot of attention to. I highly encourage you to read the book, to follow along with him. And speaking of things that you should follow along with, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Peace.